0: It's two o'clock in the morning, or maybe it's four. I am thinking of you, wondering what I should do, and I'm finally cutting through this haze. It's four o'clock in the morning, or maybe it's five. I think I'll find, and I think I'll survive. I'm finally cutting through this haze of love. Haze of love. For days and days and days, I'm in a haze of love. It's you. Don't love me like I love you. And I see this will end, and I see it depends. I'm finally cutting through this haze of love, haze of love, for days and days and days, in a haze of love. shifts and safety belts bucket seats have all got to go when we're driving in the car it makes my baby seem so far i need you here with me not way over in a bucket seat i need you to be here with me not way over in a bucket seat When we're driving in my Malibu, it's easy to get right next to you. I see, baby, scoot over, please, and then she's right there next to me. I need you here with me, not way over in a bucket seat. I need you to be here with me, not way over in a bucket seat.
1: Ah, howdy folks. Oh, baby. A little cake for you today. Slice of cake, a little slab. Of the old cake. Uh I can't I can't deny I love it.
0: Good band, my 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 favorite guys.
1: So uh today let's just start off by saying obviously uh hands off Cuba, come on. Not even a contest. This is one of the easiest tests that there could be. This is like basic, this is like the ideological equivalent of the questions they ask you to make sure you haven't had a fucking concussion. That is the level of difficulty that Cuba is. Especially uh, this context. Where you're seeing some sort of demonstrations in Cuba, the basis of which we have no idea the come from, that are even in the fucking words of the running dog capitalist press Issues of scarcity, uh, of vaccines and uh, and food and supplies. Uh, the thing you're supposed to put a post on uh, Instagram is, Cuba, we are being starved. And the answer to the, 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 the remainder of that sentence is, we are being starved by the United States of America. Like all of these most uh, keening issues that are supposed to be generating this demonstration are against not the Cuban r- regime, but the actual cause of the direct cause. This is not one where you get to act like, oh, we're going to throw some fairy dust in the air and say, oh, you can't accuse the CIA of everything. Oh, you know, just because somebody's part of the global you know economy that uses the U.S. dollar and you know their their uh, their ability to actually. Exercise democratic governments is compromised. That's that's too uh, abstract. You you can blame anything that way. This is a direct economic intervention, something that is an act of war in the form of the embargo, which means no trade between Cuba and its largest natural trading partner, but also no trade with any company that wants to trade in the United States. That is suffocating. And even in those conditions, even in those conditions, Cuba is able to maintain a a basic uh, level of social provision that is light years away from what is experienced by other countries in the region that are governed by our allies and that are democratic and part of the system and obeying the rule of law and having multiple parties and all that bullshit. And Cuba is able to do that even though they're being strangled, have been for 60 years. And this is not even something that has to be adjudicated in the the cumbersome mechanisms of, uh, of Congress. This is something that a president could unilaterally change. Obama was, to his credit, moving in that direction. Of course, you could argue that Obama's move towards Cuba was like his move towards Iran. It was an attempt by a strain within the capitalist ruling elite to prolong American power by the application of the market. Like, we have these places, these nodes of resistance, they can be undermined by integration. And that's what they tried to do. And that was what the, the lifting of sanctions in under Obama was about doing. It was about introducing capitalism into Cuba as a fucking plague bacillus. But it had a narrow short-term effect of actually helping uh, Cuba you know, breathe a little bit. But this could be something that could be removed. This this stranglehold could be removed. And then the starvation and the privation that is generating this discontent would actually be addressed. It would actually be addressed. Of course, the deal that the United States is making is, look, we will stop strangling you and allow you to get uh, access to all these nice vaccines and all this nice trade, but only if, you overthrow a revolutionary government and replace it with the capitalist algorithm. Unless you pull out the fucking software and replace it with the market. That is the deal. That's always been the deal. That was the deal under Obama. It was like lure more flies with honey type situation. But the same goal, to destroy any... Organized social opposition that has the ability to express itself 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 in something as you know meaningful as a state and Cuba has punched so far above its weight internationally. Cuba, Cuban foreign policy, and Cuban uh, uh, yes, Cuban foreign policy is more responsible, directly responsible for the end of apartheid in in South Africa and the end of uh, of like late colonialism. You know the, the last vestiges of it, like from the Portuguese, uh, was the direct result of an independent Castro foreign policy of military uh, aid to uh, Marxist revolutionary formations, specifically in Angola, where uh, where rush where um, where the Angolan Marxists. Uh, fought with the, the uh, regular Cuban military and some Russian advisors a months-long standing battle with the, uh, the puppet Angolan uh, rebels uh, and the South African military, which until that point had been uh, undefeated in conflicts with, uh, with native African uh, military uh, units of any kind. And uh, they fought him to a standstill, and it was sort of the end of uh, the line, and it was when the smarter Boers started to realize that they needed to negotiate an exit from the thing. And that was because Castro pushed back and was able to organize a military force that was literally fighting an ideological war. It was not participating in a resource grasp on behalf of imperialism. That part of power cannot allow it to be persisted. Persist and right now there's it's more soft power thanks to the Cuban investment in medical medicine and medical knowledge in the form of doctors who they send all over the world, which is a source of uh, revenue for the state and also is a soft power projection. No good. They got to go. And the difference between Trump and Obama on it is a difference of tactics. It's a difference of what can we uh, what policy do we pursue? Uh, and Biden looks like he's going to just. Take the easy road out and keep the brick on the accelerator. Because, hey, maybe this is, maybe, maybe coronavirus is the fucking last straw because they've been holding it together, God love them. But it's been in the face of real uh, difficulty and persistent, sustained uh, economic uh, pain at the heart of the system, like poverty that has not been eradicated. And that undermines the regime. It has to. It makes it more brittle and less democratic, by definition. Uh, But that still means that it is a progressive force in the world that has to be totally defended. Because if we did take our boot off of the neck, Cuba would fucking do better. If we took the fucking boot off the neck, if we stopped doing undeclared warfare on Cuba... And since that's the only course of action that matters is get rid of the sanctions. The only thing that's in the American power to do and the imperative morally because it's the actual direct cause of the suffering. Like if you want to be a bleeding heart and say the thing that matters is what will stop suffering, then the answer is simple. This ending the sanctions will stop the suffering because that's the direct cause. It's like once again, uh, this is an easy test to pass. It is the lowest difficulty level. And yet people are fucking it up. They're botching it. They're bumbling it. And it's like, what is the matter with you fucking idiots? No, end the fucking embargo. You don't need to have any opinion on the fucking Cuban government. You don't need to know anything. And by the way, you can't know anything. What are you? You're looking through the fucking the the dog asshole of the internet to try to find out what's going on. You see a fucking picture of some people marching somewhere, and you think you know where it is. We are way past wag the dog territory. This is a totally synthetic reality you're viewing through the fucking social media lens. It is a funhouse mirror. And of course, since this is such an easy question, the only way you get to the dumb way that you fuck yourself over by deciding that you have to have a morally correct interpretation of the Cuban government is because you are too agitated on the, on the question of politics and too in need to justify yourself because you're disengaged, because you're not doing politics in your life. You're doing it in this fantasy firmament, and that means you have to convince yourself that it matters what your opinion is of the fucking Cuban government. It does not matter in any sense what anyone's opinion, their discrete opinion on Cuba is. It does not. There's nothing you can do with that information that can mean anything anywhere. Meanwhile, there are things you might be able to do about the fucking embargo, like organize around it politically, turn it into an issue that you connect to other issues to build inner solidarity and notions of like, uh, you know, actions on behalf of the way that like the Scottish uh, dock workers wouldn't unload, uh, uh, they wouldn't unload uh, Chilean wine after Pinochet over through Allende. There's something you can do. Even if it is like, you know, uh, liberal NGOist um, uh, activism, you could still maybe get something done because this is an option. This is just the U.S. doing what it's doing because nothing is stopping it. You could change the equation for power to be like, all right, fine, let them up. We know during Obama that there was a a crack there. You know, just give them some room to breathe. Yes, of course, now they're going to have to deal with the fact that with that will definitely come an increased marketization of their economy. But maybe the Cuban state, by persisting for all those years, is going to be able to actually manage it and not be overwhelmed by it, the way that, say, that the Chinese state was. We don't know, but we have to see. And if we want to see, we can do one thing, like I said, end the embargo. Having opinions about the... the uh, the objective merit of the Cuban government, whether it needs reforms or not, is, is an opinion that will do you no good in a literal sense. There's nothing for you to do with that opinion except have it and then bat it around like a fucking kitten in an enclosure trying to keep themselves from going insane with boredom. And that is why this is the kind of question that captivates certain people on here why they decide that it becomes a litmus test and the hill they're going to die on. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to give fuel to these malign actors. But it's because for these people, for a certain number of people who comprise the online left and its media sphere uh, and and the, the specific audience that they appeal to, uh, you're not talking about some generalized group, a, a cross-section, you're not generalizing about a cross-section of people online expressing leftist opinions who might do something about them if they thought there was something they could do. This is a subsection of people. And I would define this group of people, the people who obsess about stuff like well, how, how how much I should condemn this regime, are people who are coming to left politics as it is merging with culture from the culture side of the equation from the culture end i think that the, the 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 culture of the online left which has now become inextricably linked to popular culture to the mainstream conception of popular culture is creating the uh, what we think of as the online left and that what is expressed in its media. So some of them, the ones who make the most, uh, the most like salient uh, media creations, like the people who do podcasts, the people who post the most, the people whose posts other people read the most motivated those people are coming at this fusion of culture and politics from politics. They are thinking of themselves as political subjects who also engage in popular culture and popular media, mainstream style, uh, and are pumping their investment their, – they're uh, investing their time spent in popular culture with their politics because they're feeling an excess of political feeling. And they feel like they should be doing something politically because of how much they're ex- agitated by the state of things and how much they want to change things. And so they put that when they, when they write about popular culture and then when they write popular culture by becoming the people who staff shows and write scripts that get made into movies and the people who make the conversation of the day and form what is like the correct opinions to have are doing so out of this agitation, this political agitation that is driving them to make their consumption and production of culture more politically uh, uh, defined. And this is as the uh, the rituals of politics become entirely spectacle-based. So everybody is just doing this as a spectacle. We are all fully invested in this thing called politics at as a, as a level of spectacle. So the people who are making the left... Are being agitated to politics to culture from politics. But a summit, big chunk of the people who make up the audience for this stuff and now the producers of it, they aren't coming at it from that perspective. They are people who would otherwise be either apolitical or right wing who are fully invested in popular culture and the consumption of it as part of their identity. The way that these politics people think of themselves as political these people think of themselves as consumers of this polit of this culture. Like the, 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 busy bees, people like me, we are coming at culture from politics as stymied political subjects. These people who watch some of this stuff and are now making it come at this convergence as people who want to consume culture. They want to watch Marvel movies they want to play video games. They want to watch the, – the, and when they want to feel like they're smart, they want to watch prestige TV shows. They want to live in the clubhouse. They don't want to grow up. They want to be Toys R Us kids because, of course, who wouldn't? It is, a, in my opinion, a more rational in many ways decision to be like that than to fantasize that you have some sort of political subjectivity and then act, try to act from it through your cultural consumption. But what the, the, the problem with being that is that you're being led into politics. You are forced to become a political subject because the people around you consuming and making polit- uh, culture are more and more obsessed with politics. And you have to fit in that somewhere. Now, that is where you get all, the entire social base of like the disaggregated, downwardly mobile, white male uh uh internet user that's where you get the right wing ones people who just want to fucking do pol- they just want to consume culture as identity they don't care about politics but eventually they have to and that becomes that reactionary process becomes the formation of this defined alternative to a counterculture defined by this new mainstream of culture but not everybody is going to be relate to that rejection. They're going to accept it. They're, it's either because they're white males who have been acculturated to have certain values or because they're not white males. And therefore, they're alienated from that. And therefore, they find something comforting in the validation of an increasingly accepting and multicultural mainstream. They're, they find it more uh, – they find it more uh, – Uh, enticing than alienating whereas the future Groypers find it more alienating than enticing and then there are the white males within it who are able to say well I'm one of the good ones so I get to be in the good part with the good people and those people who are coming at that from culture they don't want politics to mean anything they want to turn politics into another thing that they consume as a spectator like the video games they play, like the movies they watch like, and that argue about. Hey, I want to be on the Internet all the time arguing about something. I would rather it be video games and movies. But since it has to be politics, then I'm going to pick a side and, and, and I'm going to watch it try to own somebody else. And that is where the debate culture of, uh, of online leftism comes from, is we need a spectacle to make out of this because that's all we really care about. But because they're consumers of left content, because they have to be, if they want to be on the right side of it, if they want to be enjoyers of the mainstream, because they want to see the big stuff, they want to enjoy earnestly the major productions, the huge capital-infused spectacles, the high-calorie, high-density of nutrient shit that makes up their cultural diet, like blockbuster movies and entertainment. They want to be able to agree with it and root for it and love it not define themselves by how much they hate it. And so that means they always have to find a way whereby the, uh, the more and more imposed political correctness, uh, uh, they have to find more and more, uh, Ways to keep it interesting for themselves because they don't really care. They're not anxious the way that the producers of this stuff are. They just want a party. They just want to fucking grill. They want to watch their stories. And if their stories have to be politics, they want it to be a guy who looks like them, telling them that all they have to do is root for the Democratic Party and then spend their time deciding to have what the right opinions are on things which is just like watching a TV show and then commenting with other people and deciding how good it is or not, which is everything else that is their political, their uh, cultural consumption and it, what is they, it is what they want out of their cultural consumption. And they're going to turn politics into that uh, production. Because they want it, they will create a market for it. And someone will fill that gap. And now that gap is being filled. And so when something happens like uh, demonstrations in Cuba... You get to have a week-long argument about how much you should support the Cuban government, what the exact balance of opinions you should have, how much, because you're imagining that you're in an argument with somebody and that there is some sort of judge there to tell you who's right or wrong and that you're going to get a good grade and a shiny apple. You're going to be rewarded by your superego. You're going to get a little boost from your superego for denying yourself. And that really is determining, I think, the – that's determined, like, this new fascinating online culture around debate and around hypothetical situations and and, and these free-floating questions of, like, responsibility that have nothing to do with anyone's lived experience, that can't relate to anyone's lived experience, that are designed to keep you occupied about something else because – You're not actually a politically engaged subject. You just think you are. You are still a full consumer. And what you're consuming is a debate that is the same as your shows and is the same as your uh, video games. (laughs) And the existence of this these people, you, they're just the, the mirror image of people who have turned online politics into a place for them to uh, exercise their guilt. That's the other side of the coin. These are the producers because they're the more anxious, the more politically uh, identified ones. But they're still operating out of a desire to consume a spectacle and gain enjoyment of it from one end or the other. Of either indulgence or uh, the pleasure of self denial. Uh, neo Puritan uh, or neo, I guess, high Anglican. Like the, the earthy land, uh, the earthy sensual rule of the feudal landowner or the uh, flesh-scouring Puritan uh, abstemiousness of the uh, of the uh, capitalist, of the, of the urban bourgeois in his counting house, reading his Bible over and over again, trying to convince himself that God is real by scaring himself because he's been disconnected from uh, any felt conception of uh, of faith Would say that what the Amish lack to truly be like a effective uh, uh, like counterweight, like like a, a behavioral norm to adopt, is that you you need it needs to be more uh, frankly uh, evangelical in the sense that uh, it needs to be it needs to be a uh, recruiting faith. It, it can't be a, a sort of a, a, a it turned inward thing because that's just neo fourierism That's just you're back to the Owenite uh, co- uh, model, and like that's it's it's it can't sustain itself. Oh, uh, I didn't want to forget. I'm glad I almost forgot this. So uh, we're going to start Black Jacobin on Wednesday. First three chapters of Black Jacobin. The first three chapters of Black Jacobin will be discussed on Wednesday. Three chapters, one through three of Black Jacobin. Not very long. It 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 moves. It's a very, very, very easy to read book. It's absolutely the sentences just pull you in. But that. But it suffices to say that the fact that this this online leftism that people are part of is fully invested with the the logic of uh, the the logic of capitalism. At at, at, a, at a base level, uh, every incentive uh, of everyone participating in what we think of as the online left is doing so is being uh being pushed along by being motivated by by capitalist uh imperatives not because anyone is choosing that but because that's the only uh those are the only signals that get priced that get noticed like if it's if if the extent of our political subjectivity is engaging in uh public conversation in a social media space where we are the product being made, where we are both the performer of culture and the produce and consumer of it at the same time. Uh, Oh boy. Oh, I completely lost my train of thought, but that's fine. It happens sometimes. Somebody can remind me what I was saying. That'd be helpful, but I don't know. Uh, all right. That's that, um, that we are coming to, to do this job of consuming and producing, uh, our our personalities online because, uh, and the only way we can succeed at it is to, is to try to make it entertaining, keeping our eyes on it. Like we're building our political identity to the degree that we're spending time on this app, on these apps, listening to these things, having these conversations. Like we're building a thing out of our desire but not our desire to do, our desire to avoid doing. And that's not our fault because everything is hopeless. Everything truly is, in an objective sense, hopeless. But we are still here and still have to live. And within capitalist structures, counter-hegemonic concentrations emerge. They really do. But we're not there yet. I think the Bernie campaign proved that conclusively. We have not given birth to structures that can generate their own incentives that are outside of the capitalist selfish one. Because the right now, that is what we're all operating on. And everybody, to some extent, is trying to be, at a certain level, like uh, what the most indulgent uh, debate guys want people to be, which is fully invested in politics as a place to gain emotional catharsis through identity formation. Uh, and the way that you lose yourself in a narrative, the way that you get to, the same way you get to pretend to be one of the Avengers and invest yourself in, in the in the story arc of a fucking Captain America, you get to invest yourself in the battles between the different uh, YouTubers. Uh, and they're different, and, and And every time they come together to fight, it's like the third act of a Marvel movie. And and in that realm where you don't have any emotional connection to to these concepts, where you don't have any commitment to them beyond them as a as a spectacle, uh, you all questions become academic, because all you're doing is is picking who is who is right by who is smartest, just imposing a, a ideological meritocracy. I am not conservative because I'm smarter than them. And here's the proof that I'm able to out argue them. Even though these arguments aren't purely meaningless rituals where you just pick a, you pick, you, you pick a side and invest yourself in it with the surety of, of like belief obscured by your, your absolute faith in empirical reality. And, of course, this is where I have to, once again, come back to the supreme... Anxiety, I feel, as someone who is part of this same structure. Like, how do I justify myself within this structure in a way that is not purely self-interested, in a a way that does not privilege my personal personal narrow self-interest over a greater interest that I could be serving? And I don't know, you can't see the back of your own head. You've got to take some faith that you uh, that something feels right. It, it, it gets to that level. And then when we all govern ourselves that way and and we just ignore it because it's too, the implications are too scary. If we really accept the fact that the final decision making that we have is not done rationally or logically or consciously, that what the final discern, determiner is is outside of our senses is felt in the stomach. We would maybe stop to figure what generates that feeling. And instead of uh, just believing that we've talked ourselves to an act, because I don't think we ever talk ourselves to an act. Because at a certain point our... Our logic becomes so abstract that it loses our ability to uh, discern it. The way that there is a distance between the end of a nerve and where it's uh, and where it has to, where it's processed in the brain, and that, that that time that that delay creates a spot in between the two set the two points where it's lost, where where uh discrete. Like levels of intensity of uh, perception kick over into an uh, into a greater perception, which is what consciousness is when it arises out as as an emergent property from sense perception. But that creates a black hole. I said this in a previous uh, po- blog. There's a black hole where the in one end goes unperceived stimuli, and at the other end comes our words for it our visual conception of it in our head our symbolic representation of it in our head what comes flying out of that is not there is no chain of evidence between those two points because of the the, because of uh, that lacuna that we talk about and that is the root of free will because at a certain level, our consciousness is guessing at what reality is. Every second, it's making a guess about what the real world is, and the degree to which it understands the world around it, it affirms to its sense body senses. It affirms to what its body is being told by the world around it. But every moment, it's flying out of this hole, as we're being shaken and banged around like fucking, uh, uh, like socks in a dryer, we're just banging around the world, guessing in every moment what the world is around us, filling in the gaps created by our minds. And we're guessing together, and all of our communication is an attempt to guess together what the world actually is. But we're guessing, and we're banging against it, and we're creating these things called consciousnesses, and these illusions of a self-perpetuating identity that pilots us through a reality that is not real, that is at an angle that is orthogonal to the real world, to the real world of determined conditions, and so while the, we are determined over time in an arc, in general patterns of entropy and 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 uh, you know physical re- reactions, cause and effect we're all being piloted by these demons, these ghosts of consciousness that are guessing at what the world is. And that means they're pressing against the determining structures. And that's the... And it is in that space, that little pocket of air, that all human consciousness emerges from. And the world as is... The world that we all experience individually, incorrectly, could be, could be experienced collectively. And that is, what, that is the drive for the world spirit. That is the world spirit coming into awareness of itself. That is the whole process of the human mind dealing with the condition of consciousness in a physical world. And trying to make sense of the world through the scheme, through that, that veil of ignorance that we have about our own condition. And so everybody is getting the wrong thing. So we keep banging around and making the thing more and more out of shape. But if we're all experiencing it simultaneously, if we are all living in the same uh, imagined world, it is there at that point. Symmetrical with the universe, you have locked it back into being, and that is of course the uh, you know, that, is, that is the moment of, uh, of total transformation that of course none of us will see It's important to note that this, uh, I guess you could theoretically argue that like since if, if everything that could happen has happened somewhere. If you take that principle, then somewhere, somehow, at some point, that happened. Where we achieved a final species-wide communion with the galaxy and the universe. But that doesn't mean that the world we're living in is going to end that way. In fact, very, 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 very unlikely to be the case. Very, very, very unlikely to be the case. And say that human civilization winks out; all the other galactic civilizations that might exist all flare up, uh, go out. There's never is like a a, a moment of of uh, of species being of species awareness and transcendence. Uh, We all just go. We all just eventually die out. The the the, the the robots run out of battery. Uh, the Earth loses its ability to sustain us. We just cough it up. Uh, all, and all subsequent life on Earth also fails to cohere that way. All other consciousnesses emerge and break up under uh, ecological strain. And then the fucking sun expands, incinerates Earth, and the whole thing is over. Wiped from the galaxy anyway. Say that happens in this universe. At the end of this universe, all matter will have been expended, right? You'll reach a point of absolute uh, absolute uh, static moment, right? Like all entropy has been extinguished in the system, right? So all, all matter, energy has been unwound. Matter is no longer extant. That condition is the condition of the Big Bang. So you don't get a big crunch and you don't get a steady state. You get another eruption. You get another Big Bang. Now, is that Big Bang going to create the exact same universe that just extinguished itself? I don't think so, because I think that's the same gap that we live in. So that means that the next one is going to be different. Maybe when Roland finds himself... Uh, Crossing the desert to follow uh, the man in black, he looks down and he has the horn of eld This time, you know what I mean. And so our that means that our moral imperative in life, the one that will keep us in harmony with ourselves and the world around us, is in seeking to build a world that leaves a trace that can be found elsewhere in the galaxy, where where we can build experiences not just institutions and, and structures, but experiences that imprint themselves in the galaxy, in our fucking, in the, 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 uh, the, the ricochet of, of atoms, imprint that psychically on the world. And people have done that throughout history. Like, history is this cycle towards oblivion and annihilation and misery but then there are these counterpoints that are the human soul screaming out against that and that's us dragging the world in a direction but we could it is just an echo through history that can accumulate or that can be crushed but we all it is our harmony with the world is our ability to leave that impression because then one day maybe the fucking thing starts off again and the conditions are changed a little bit, and the chessboard is different. And remember, this is happening infinitely because there's nothing else to happen. Eventually, the lines are going to line up the right way. Eventually, all of the the breaks that we need happen. And if that has happened, if that moment has happened somewhere, then it is happening everywhere always. Because it's what's sustaining consciousness. Because the universe is just, is a consciousness. Forgive me, this got very, uh, very, like, dorm room. I'm sorry if it sounds too, uh, to either incoherent or pretentious or uh, like hippie bullshit, but I feel like it's I feel like it's truth. It feels true when I say it, which is the the most fun I have in my life saying something that feels true. I, somebody asked for the Marxist interpretation of uh, World War One. I. I would say, I mean, you can say that's Marxist or not. I, I think of myself in those terms, but also I really do not see it as a uh, Marxism as a doctrine. I see it as a heuristic. It's like a way of thinking about things. Uh, so some people would say that means it doesn't count because they want to really get committed to the... Uh, to the branding or whatever, or the identity of one. I, I don't really care if I'm called that or not. Uh, but I'd say that World War One is the beginning of the final, uh, the beginning of the end of the process whereby uh, the the land-bound classes of pre-capitalist Europe resisted the rise and domination of the uh, merchant uh, ruling class. I'd say if that that process begins, uh, I would say uh, in earnest in the 17th century with the 80 Years' War in the Netherlands, with uh, the the English Civil War, uh, and then concomitant to that, the 30 Years' War all culminating in the Westphalia Treaty. It starts there, and it goes through the World Wars, both, starting in World War I, with the final defeat of uh, the landed ruling class and the land-based peasantry. Everybody has been uprooted and turned into either a capitalist or a... uh, a seller of labor. This is the process that Marx talked about at length. Capitalism takes the old orders which were land based, that were based with relation to specific real land. And there was there were hierarchies of rule that were affirmed by that relationship, and those were cultural and very much importantly religious. But also um, just, but but also structural in the in the forms of like systems of governance and legal structures like common law in the UK that end up becoming permanent features of capitalism. And in the uh, in the conditions after the Black Death and and the, the scrambling of feudalism that happened, the, the breaking up of feudalism's a uh, fatal uh, uh, stalemate, because feudalism was stuck in a stalemate at, at, at the extinguishment of its viability when the Malthusian shock of uh, of the Black Death sort of scrambled the board. Now, it did not mean the feudalism went away overnight. Somebody said that I said that. I did not mean that. If that's what I fucking said, what I meant was is that it changed the, it. It shook up the conditions under which feudalism uh, existed, namely. Way more land for way fewer people with labor commanding a much higher uh, price because of that. And that the condition, and that that destabilizing change of conditions under which feudalism had been relatively stable, uh, meant that the class dynamic shifted. And you saw the breakup of these structures that gave dominance to rural uh, ways of being. Because, of course, the peasants, there were things they hated about being peasants. But they would, all of them, the vast majority of them, and this is true everywhere capitalism emerges, peasants everywhere would rather be peasants than proletarians. They would rather work the land than work for somebody else. That is a universal preference. You don't have to fucking, uh, this is another easy one. People would rather work the land and be proletarians. Now you can look back at the at the rise of history and art, or the rise of capitalism saying, but you see those peasants they ended up their kids had higher standards of living. And their kids had more sophisticated existences and and their kids got to ride around in motor cars and like yeah, but they didn't and it wasn't their kids usually it was like their fucking grandkids and they had to suffer for that. And who would want to do that? Especially since they're not, they're not imagining depriving their kids of that. They can't even conceive of that. They're imagining keeping their kid in the condition of stability and, and relative uh, you know, uh, security and, and self-sufficiency that they had on the land. They're not comparing it to some future where they have access to the markets because that's not real to them. It comes later. And then they get to look around and say, well, you know what? This is better than my dad had it because they're consuming more. And consumption replaces autonomy. Like our idea of what our best interest is becomes our consumption patterns, and and, and the question of how good, uh, how much we validate the regime we live under is how much it allows us to consume, because that is what we got. That's what they fed us. Now that's how things start. Once capitalism gets a bite in, though things change. And then you see this mass move of people to the cities. Now, of course, and and that is to participate in the thing that got built there, this new, this new world that is, is less, that is more advanced than rural life. That doesn't have the idiocy of rural life, but now they're comparing it to something. That's not true of the early, the early peasants and the ruling lords of the land. They didn't want to cede power to a bunch of fucking, uh, Uh, commoners largely in the fucking cities but they had to to pursue the contest over power between the medium sized states of Europe And the wars between states that start with – either within states in in, – between – within states like Habsburg, the Habsburg Low Country, which is a a regional revolt against uh, the Spanish crown, and then the civil war in Spain – or in England, uh, and then later on the continent between states in – and within the Holy Roman Empire, you have these things. These th- things that are essentially three civil wars that go throughout Europe, the civil war within Habsburg lands, the civil war within the civil war within the Habsburg uh, lands, both the Lowlands and uh, the Holy Roman Empire, and then uh, off the continent in uh, England. And those wars are the ruling classes, the landed classes, fighting each other. And in so doing, building up the forces of capital that will eventually suborn them completely. Not just in terms of structures of debt, but culturally, things like Protestantism. Which undermines foundations that were central to the preparation of landed power. And all these capitalist innovations that the landed powers who technically still ruled where they did... All of these accommodations to the market undermined their power in the long term, and they knew that, but they needed to use them to fight their wars against each other in the short term, because these were independent capitalisms emerging along these national, these national identity groups, these national groupings that formed later into secular nation states after the, after Westphalia Treaty. So, if you have capitalism emerging as the dominant, uh. Mode of uh, political economy in in Western Europe, where it is able to massively concentrate capital and intensify industrial production, and 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 create a more and more refined civilization because of its ability to exploit undeveloped regions and uh, do hyper exploitation there to to allow for mega consumption in the metropole that that dynamic will eventually be interrupted by some sort of uh, crisis of inputs. And that's what happens when European uh, European capitalism hits its first big system-wide, European capitalism, its first system-wide crisis that then necessitates, as it always does, economic crisis necessitates conflict over resources among the nation-states of Europe, which used to be, Religious, but are now civically national. But the same thing, the only thing that matters is it'll get guys to march out and kill each other over it. That's all that matters. So that means it's the same type of state with the same sort of structures. And it responds to capitalist crisis the same way by everybody killing each other. And at every level, it is first the ruling class and then the peasants rebelling against. The impositions of capitalism, but of course not coordinated with each other, and in fact opposed to one another, which is why they are both defeated in turn. And you have a situation where the old ruling class is stripped of their formal, of their actual power; they are bought out essentially into uh, some variety of um, of gentlemanly retirement and the crowned heads of europe of northern Europe are the perfect example of this where capitalism was first introduced where the ruling class allowed it to dominate earliest is where was most quickly developed a mechanism to slowly extinguish the power of the old land-based aristocracy without provoking them to rebellion and this and that took a few it took the cutting off of the head of a king, it took the fucking uh, Lord Protectorate of Cromwell. it took the, the it took the uh, uh, crowning of William and Mary. Uh, it took the Jacobite rebellion. But eventually formal power of the landed aristocracy was converted into capital. They got bought off from power with money some of them became powerful because they invested well some of them spend themselves into dissolution but one way or another they were bought off from defeating the bourgeois and now are just a, subsur- a part of it one part of it one part of the new ruling owning class the ones who won some of them they're, they're descendants of nobles among our poorest classes now people who fucked up who fumbled the bag and fell out of favor And now they're on the bottom. So for the descendants of the people who made that deal, it was a bad deal. But at the time it looked good because they could imagine a future where things were better off, which is the exact opposite dynamic that exists with the peasants who can only see things getting worse. And so they have to be brought along with the stick, bludgeoned into submission, which they are, over the course of the uh, from the enclosures to the suppression of the uh, peasants' revolt in, in Germany, and then to the, uh, the the socialist movement, the socialist movement that becomes the first coherent class-based uh, uh, counter hegemony. Capable of confronting capitalism, and it's like, oh my god, this is a this is something that can actually resist the working class. The ruling class will just be bought off over time. The peasants will be broken up and defeated because of their inability to organize among themselves. But then the leftovers of those peasantry will then be able to organize as workers, and that emerged, and it provided a flame of uh, tension. and And it is in the context of the rising working class that the The happiness with which the rulers of Europe went to war uh, in the uh, in nineteen fourteen shows how it contributed to this dynamic of constant uh, eventual punctuated equilibrium of violence, where you have these flare ups, and of course the French Revolution is is key to that. It is the continental sparking of this engine. It is the it is the it is the uh, overthrow of the French land based rule by the french bourgeois eventually in the in the personification of of napoleon bonaparte and then you have 1848 coming from that where finally now workers are able to organize themselves but only incipiently and then by the late 1800s you have a condition where oh shit you have a coordinated working class in these countries they are mil- they are, are organizing along their own axis in What is the new version of a peasants' war, but not run by peasants, done by workers who have a greater capacity for self-organization, who have a greater capacity for coordinated activity, and from and all of it generated by class consciousness, which they their peasant forebears were incapable of producing, and that conflict comes to a head, that drive between colonial superpowers who are in conflict over resources to sustain their internal battle with one another while also fighting their internal working class. It led them to destroy themselves in a fit of suicidal violence. And then emerged from that, the rise after this war of the enraged bourgeois. And what you see in the twenties and thirties is the rise in the vanquished countries or the, the main vanquished country of Germany, and then the uh, sort of uh, Johnny-come-lately-who-didn't-get-any-of-the-glory-Italy, uh, this working-class reaction, or I'm sorry, this, uh, this small bourgeois r- revolt against the large bourgeois. So over the course of the 19th century, the, the, the landowners are defeated by the bourgeois, the combined bourgeois. But then after the destruction of the Civil War... Or the destruction of the of the capitalist civil war of of uh, Europe that happens at ends in eight nineteen eighteen. The crowned heads are destroyed, but the working class is not sufficiently organized to uh, to contest for power in Europe, and instead the small bourgeois take the power, and that is where fascism emerges. Fascism emerges as the enthralled and enthroned and traumatized small bourgeois of Europe trying to defend themselves against their own subsumption into the master-slave, owner-employee dynamic that is the fundamental endpoint of capitalism. And then the end of that war is the final extinguishment of the contest, in Europe anyway. The final contest ends in uh, 1991 when the Soviet Union breaks up. The the creation of the EU and the NATO and the UN and and the International Monetary Fund and the Bretton Woods system and the dollar and the Marshall Plan, it meant that uh, political subjectivity had been ceded from the Europeans. They had been bought off, essentially. You guys play together in your fake economy here. You guys can pay each other money for jobs. But you're not the masters of your soul anymore. You're not in charge of anything. Because if you use those uh, your nation states as nation states in this contest for resources, you're going to fucking destroy each other. But the good news is you don't have to worry about fighting for resources because we're going to subsidize you. Us, the United States. The, ones who was, the, the people who are able to, because we were offcast from your conflicts we're able to synthesize the social order with capitalism and the geography that we found here and turn it into a new headquarters for global capitalism. But that was all predicated on the super profits of empire, which are now being more evenly distributed to maintain the structure, which means that at the center, the treats are running out. And the thing that bought everybody off is, is The things that bought everybody off Are no longer holding sway Even if you're still enjoying the pleasures Of your sweet treat life You can't imagine a better future for your kids And so therefore They don't taste so good And so we have this Now American led Small bourgeois revolt But Political subjectivity was killed in Europe So now it's all spectacle now it's all just a fun, fun house uh, game we can enjoy. Root for one side or another Well, both of us are annihilated by the machinery that is uh, operating underneath all of this, unchallenged. Okay, I hope this made sense. This was a wacky one. No, I, hope, I hope I don't sound too out there, man. I don't wanna feel like I'm too wavy gravying it. But uh anyway, signing off next I'm sorry, Wednesday, first three chapters of Black Jacobins. Bye bye.